0: Amen. So we are in Jude. You know, I had wondered whether to go fast through this or slow, and and I kind of vacillate whether I want to go fast or slow, and I'm going to go slow. Uh, we're going to, we'll probably be in Jude two more Sundays, and then we will do a, a week uh, topical on the Holy Spirit, primarily because there are areas in Jude that, I have seen that make specific reference to the Holy Spirit. And I want us to hear these things. I want us to be encouraged by these things. They're extremely exciting. And so we will then have a a, a topical on the Holy Spirit for one Sunday. And then we will uh, go right into um, the book of Revelation. Uh, We have so much to be thankful for. So much to be blessed for. Uh, Jude had originally proposed uh, to write a letter promoting unity by addressing the salvation that all Christians have through Jesus Christ. But as he began to write, he found it necessary to exhort these believers to contend earnestly, to agonize, For the faith which was delivered once for all to the saints. And why? Why was this an issue? Why was this a concern? A man who was going to originally start off writing just a nice letter, maybe comparable to a postcard, he changed directions. Why? Because certain men have turned the grace of God into lewdness and they deny. The only Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ. They had managed somehow, and this was what, when I study, I, I and I, I'm sure you guys do the same thing, but but not a lot. Well, I won't say not a lot gets past me. A lot of things get past me, but 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 I mean, I see things like why, why, why? Maybe as a pastor, why were these men able to get in unnoticed? It it almost flies in the face of. Uh, the blessings that we have as being spirit-filled, born-again Christians, that we've been given the, the, the gift of discernment, that we have the gift of knowledge, we have understanding, we have this perspective, we have this insight, and it's not that we go around with some kind of suspicious mentality that, ooh, I detect something about this person, or I'm... No, 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 but we would be able to navigate this life with a confidence and a faith that comes from trusting Jesus Christ to be the one that guides and directs our life and gives us wisdom and insight as to how we would ultimately be able to minister to one another. These men had somehow managed to sneak in unnoticed into this church. And this letter was not written to them. This letter was not written to the offenders in hopes that they would read it and go, oh, my, he's talking about me. You know, no, no, no. It wasn't written to these guys. Now, I'm not saying that they couldn't have seen this letter and been convicted and gone, wow, I just got nailed. That's a, he's talking to me. That might have happened. But this letter was written to believers in the church that had allowed these men, if you will, to be able to creep in unnoticed. It was written as a precaution to those who had been called and sanctified by God the Father to earnestly contend for the faith. And because they were called to earnestly contend for the faith, Jude, through the Holy Spirit, was bringing to focus an area that they needed to be aware of. The reason why? Because there was either a spirit. There was either a spirit of naivete that had provided an opportunity for these certain men to sneak in unnoticed. How did this happen? Well, it was either through just kind of an, a naive casualness or there was a spirit of malaise and laxness that was starting to grow. Neither ignorance nor indifference is acceptable when it comes to one's eternal destiny. Now, when I put my notes together, I write and rewrite and write and rewrite, and sometimes I'll write, and I'll go, that's pretty cool. And I think that's pretty cool. So I'm going to go Baptist on you right now. I want you to repeat after me. Neither ignorance nor indifference indifference is acceptable acceptable. When when it comes to one's eternal destiny. Amen. Very good. So Jude uses some of the most sobering subjects in the Old Testament to warn and to remind his readers of the seriousness in which God places on obedience as a result of faith and trust. Amen? Father, once again, we humbly ask you to be our teacher. Keep me out of the way, Lord God. Don't let me get so excited that I interrupt you, Lord, that you would teach us this day through your word, that the Holy Spirit would have access to every single heart in this room. You can accomplish that task, Lord, and we thank you for that blessing and that comfort. We ask these things humbly and confident in your desire to feed your lambs. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jude, starting in verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude makes his point by referencing three well-known passages of the Old Testament scriptures. Israel's exodus out of Egypt, angels who did not keep their proper domain, and Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, real quick, if these passages are foreign to any of you, I encourage you to get a good study Bible and to look these specific accounts up In order to broaden your understanding of the Bible, it is absolutely vital that you learn God's word. We can dance around. We can have all kinds of activity. And that will do absolutely nothing for you if you do not have God's word hidden in your heart. God's word is the vehicle, the power, the resource, the ammo, right, Jay? By which we stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Everything else is just warm fuzzies, chicken soup for the soul, Helen Steiner rice poems. What we want is the word of God that we are able to utilize as a sword of the spirit to contend against the fiery darts that the enemy brings to us. It's absolutely vital that we understand the necessity. That's what we do here. We study the word of God. Jude 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The sin of those saved out of Egypt was unbelief. It's amazing the things that we do and we don't realize the result. I'm one of these people that likes to trace things back. I look at at, at problems and I'm always wanting to, to, to recognize you've got the problem, but we have the symptoms of the problem. And oftentimes we fixate on a symptom instead of taking it a step further and recognizing what the problem here and the symptoms are of their lack of unbelief was the groaning and the murmuring and the complaining and their lack of confidence in the Lord while they were leaving Egypt to go into the promised land. Their symptom, their symptom was unbelief. I think about the jailer in the Philippi jail when he asked Paul and Silas. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, and I love it because it's almost like, so they said, hey, dude, this is kind of a no-brainer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Put feet to your faith. Be confident about the truths that you have. And God will be able to then work through a life that's totally committed and, and, and resolved to his will. Then we look at Hebrews three, twelve through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort, encourage one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Lest any of you be hardened, deceived by the lies of the enemy, by not having the faith and confidence to step out to follow God's word, to trust God's word, to utilize God's word as the, as the, the, the equilibrium necessary to navigate this life without wavering too much, as the, as the sustenance to be able to run this race with endurance. Jude said, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, after he saved them, after he brought them out of Egypt, after everything had taken place, after the ten plagues, after they had finally been relieved, released, he, he afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Sounds like there was a, a, a long-term race here. My daughter said to me the other day, we were talking about something, and, and, and typically I have tendency to murmur and pout, Myself and feel sorry for myself, and and she just looked at me. She goes, "Dad, come on, come on, come on." Christianity is a marathon, and so many people want it to be a a, a, a hundred yard dash, a sprint. No, it's an endurance race. It's a what I would define more so as what you would call a steeple chase. <laughs> you're running a long distance. You're running through water. You're jumping over logs. You're going up and down hills. That's what Christianity is. It's not a cakewalk. But the good news is that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Consequently, the challenges and the difficulties, if you have God's word hidden in your heart, are going to be met and faced with the truths that come straight from the Bible, which is straight from God's heart and God's word. Yeah, it's a long-term race. And Jude was saying that these people, even though God got them out of Egypt, those who did not believe afterward were destroyed. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. Exodus 3, 7 through 8 says, And the Lord said... I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. God heard their cry. He rescued and he delivered them out of slavery through Moses. But when it was time for the Israelites to move on these promises, if you will, when it was time for them to, to enter the promised land, when it was time for them to respond by faith, they waffled. They panicked. They'd experienced God's miracle deliverance through the Red Sea. How are you going to forget that one? Huh? They'd heard the voice of God. They'd heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai. They had received his daily care, sustenance, provision in the manna, in the water, from the rock. He had blessed them. He had blessed them. Yet they lapsed into unbelief. Something brought them into unbelief when it was time for them to step out in faith and to enter the land that God had promised to give them. And that angered God. And that should be sobering to us. Because I know that you guys know that I have a few pet scriptures and I use them all the time. But if it says that God has given us everything we need, not almost everything. I missed it by that much. No, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Christ Jesus. And he takes the pressure off of us in that scripture because we were called by his own glory and excellence. It doesn't say God has given you everything you need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Christ Jesus as long as you're jumping through these hoops and jumping through those hoops. No, it's that he called us by his own glory and excellence. Everything we need. And there are times that I think we can't pull this off. There are times that I might be prone to succumb to fear, might be prone to succumb to, to a lack of faith. And that scripture everything bigs, everything bigs, everything Blackstone, everything Thompson, everything Winter, everything for life and godliness. That means this life that we navigate and the godliness that's required is up. God's got that covered. And if we belong to him, we are recipients of that amazing gift and that amazing blessing. But when they had this opportunity, they waffled. And that angered God. Psalm 95, 10 through 11 says, For 40 years I was grieved with that generation. This is God speaking. And said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts. Where does it begin in their hearts? and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The people of Israel left Egypt with all these blessings. As I've said it before, maybe I sound kind of like I should have on camos this morning and be packing a nine millimeter, but I, I'm blown away that everything, that you think about the power of, of Egypt. You think about what the slaves were being used for, from just their own creature comforts to build these great, these great tributes to Pharaoh. Everything that they were called to do. And to lose that workforce? I don't think I'd let go of something like that very easy. I get upset when somebody decides they don't want to clean the bathrooms anymore. Can you imagine what, what, what it would have been like? And they got out of Egypt without firing a shot, without threatening any. God did it all. God is the one that does these things. God is where our strength, God is where our hope, God is where our faith, God is where our confidence, God is where our ability all begins and ends with. It's God that does this. And God said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts because they do not know my ways. they left all of these blessings. They left with the spoils. People were giving them treasures, giving them all kinds of blessings for their trip. Go figure, they're leaving Egypt and people are, are, are giving them, them provisions, things that they needed But for some reason, they were unable to finish the course. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness. But for some reason, they were unable to finish the course. Why? Because they did not believe and trust God with his promises. Oh, well, that doesn't apply to me. God maybe is going to do that for you, but is he going to do that for me? I don't think he'll do that for me. Oh, and those are lies and discouraging words from the pit of hell. 2 Timothy 1, seven tells us, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I saw some of you look up here on the board. I, I added this scripture this morning. That's a good thing about doing two sermons. I think I need to have that scripture there. God did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and love and the spirit of a sound mind. So as he used this focus to try to, this, this subject to try to bring them into focus about the necessity of not believing God, then he goes onto another area that they knew about, they knew all about this. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now Jude compared the pride and the rebellion of the angels who did not keep their proper position. Jude compared that type of conduct, that type of activity, those kinds of actions to the pride and the rebellion that had called that had caused, excuse me, these false teachers to turn the grace of God, into lewdness. And the more I I spend here in Jude, I can't think of a a more powerful word than lewdness. Just lewd, gross, vile, perverse, blasphemous, lewdness. They used the grace of God to, if I may Though this word in there to justify lewd behavior. So Jude compared the pride and rebellion of the angels who did not keep their proper position to the pride and the rebellion that had caused the false teachers to turn from, to turn the grace of God into lewdness. And here's another little epiphany as I'm writing these things out. Drum roll, please. You can't have pride and rebellion without selfishness. Pride always puts me first. Me first always creates selfishness. It's all about me. All about me. And selfishness is always, and I've used the word always because I believe these are truths that, 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 that one would have difficulty, I think I could debate these pretty well. I think I'd win this argument. Pride always puts me first, me first always creates selfishness, and selfishness is always more interested with self than God. And there are only two places in the Bible where it speaks of, of angels sinning. And they both have to do with this. The first place is in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. If you don't know about this, you should know about this. So write it down or get the, the, the CD and, and study these things. I want you to study to show yourself approved. I want you guys to be the best fed sheep in this community. I'm not competing against anybody or with anybody, but I believe that's what God has called us to do with this church. I want you to know these things. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the earth, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. That you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. That was Satan's issue right there, that he would be equal to God that his pride, that his rebellion would be such that anything that God might say that would be contrary to what it was that he would desire to do would be canceled out because he himself was equal with God. And ultimately, when we let our pride and we let our rebellion bring into our lives a sense of selfishness, entitlement, where we place ourselves above, not to mention God, but just every individual around us, We find ourselves falling into that same kind of deception that ultimately Satan fell for. But these angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode are best understood in Genesis 6. Brings us to where we're talking about, I believe, contextually. Genesis 6, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now this is very interesting, and this is one of the controversial areas of the book of Jude, but I I find comfort, solace in knowing that when Jude spoke this and wrote this letter, Nobody was going, come on, Jude, what are you talking about, bro? You're kind of out there a little bit. They were tracking with him. So these aren't insights or issues that were new to these people. They might be to us. And I'd venture to say that possibly some of the problems that we encounter that bring about a skepticism is because of our skepticism. We don't know about all of these things, but we know that in God's word it's communicated and spoken here. this unnatural union if you will when we think about the big picture this unnatural union produced unnatural offspring in some of your in in other areas of the scripture it makes reference about these about these legends of old these giants and many people believe that this is where the whole issue in regards to greek mythology and some of these heroes of folklore came came through there. But this unnatural union produced unnatural offspring. And here we go. And this unnatural offspring, Christian, corrupted the gene pool of mankind. That's heavy. And so God's remedy, God's God's remedy to this was to find a man genetically pure in his generations. Genesis 6 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect. Do a word search on perfect in this in this context. Perfect in his generation noah walked with god so noah was a man who had not been tainted who had not been affected by this corruption that had come in to the world and was ultimately going to spread like a virus So what does God do? God brings about an ethnic cleansing. We're not talking the coronavirus here. We're talking an ethnic cleansing that's going to take place. A global flood wiping out all mankind, except for eight people, Noah and his family. But we do see in the Bible where angels have taken on human appearances. We know that, at least temporarily. And we don't know how this occurred. We, we, we don't know, but, but I'm sure it hasn't already happened. But, but someday, somebody will, will write a book, if they haven't already, explaining all of this to us. Just, oh, this is exactly what happened. And they'll be very dogmatic, and they will be, and if you are that way, I invite you not to tell anybody because we'll make fun of you here. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Nobody knows these things. And, and, and people who think that they've got all of these answers, I don't mind listening to somebody who is extremely studied and uses numerous scriptures to support their fact, but don't give me some Google, uh, you know, hey, Siri, tell me about the angels. That ca-. I, I don't want that kind of information. I want biblical information and we can talk about these things but then I would venture to say if you have that much biblical information under your belt your last words are going to say but we don't know. We don't know. But we know that this did occur and it was such that God worked it out where it would never occur again, occur again through this through this ethnic cleansing of this of this which occurred. this act of pride and rebellion, it prompted God to imprison those angels in everlasting chains under darkness for the great day of judgment, which tells us that there are still demonic entities, elements, issues that are taking place, but specifically these that rebelled and came down and had sexual relations with, with the daughters of men, uh, God had a special, special punishment for them, locked them up forever until they have their grand finale of, of finding everlasting chains under darkness for judgment in the great day of terror. And here's the mind blower. These angels... These angels, at one time, they stood in the presence of God. Think about that. They stood in the... We have, we have been blessed. We've lifted our hands. I don't, we haven't done it here. I think it's a new era. I would love to do it. Sidebar. I'll tell you later. Uh, but, they, we, but, but we would have afterglows people weren't afraid to lift their hands to the lord people weren't afraid to get out of their seats and pray for one another people weren't afraid to to cry during worship not that i'm saying you have to be emotional or anything like that but god's spirit was so powerful lives were so seemed to be so untainted by the spirit of this world that you could have great revival times great times of prayer great times of worship to the Lord. And we have stood, we have experienced, we have been touched, we have been born again by the Spirit of God, just as these angels at one time stood in the presence of God. Yet something enticed and lured them away, whether it was their pride, whether it was their rebellion, whether it was their lack of fear with God, whether it was a a familiarity with the old man upstairs that forgets that he's a holy, righteous God, so much so that he cannot look on your sin or my sin. He cannot condone anything contrary to that which is holy, that which is righteous, And because he loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, trust in, cling to, rely on him, would not have to perish but have everlasting life. But God could not wink at your sin. He could not say, hey, Pally, I understand it's tough. You know, back in my day, nobody had computers. (laughs) So they didn't have to worry about garbage coming up on the computer. You're living in a tough age, pal. No, 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 God didn't say that. If God says that, then he's not God. He will not make any exceptions for sin. And believe me, I'm not preaching. I'm preaching to myself too. God will not justify my bad attitude towards people. God will not be- justify my negativity. Judge- God will not judge- justify my propensity, even though I'm pretty good. I don't do it. Nothing like I used to but my propensity to gossip, no matter how righteous it sounds, God will not, will not tolerate that. So instead, God has given us his son as a propitiation, as a vehicle, as a link, never to diminish the glory of Jesus Christ, the perfection of the Lamb of God who was slain without spot or blemish. But God will take... Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and allow Him to be that link, that propitiation, that vehicle by which we now by grace and faith can boldly approach this holy, righteous God because His throne now is a throne of grace, and that grace is never to be used for lewdness, that grace is never to be used for licentiousness, that grace is never to be used as an excuse to justify being anything less than God would have us to be as born-again Christians who will say that it's no longer us living, but Christ living in us. That grace is a blessing. If I can lighten things up a little bit. That grace is what I use when somebody pulls out in front of me that doesn't know how to drive. <laughs> That grace is what I use when somebody hits the back of my ankles in Walmart. That grace is what I use when I want to throw my dog over the fence because he's a dog. <laughs> grace is what we utilize, exercise, deploy when, when our humanness pops up. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oy vey. But we have a tremendously beautiful arrangement here from God to be able to bless him through our lives. And these angels stood in the presence of God. And they saw him and they worshipped him. And now because of giving in to these carnal desires, God's going to have to judge them because they turned the grace of God into lewdness. (laughs) And if that ain't enough, Jude goes, and you, you cats know about Sodom and Gomorrah I wonder if there are any people, don't bring up Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys know about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. Underline that as an example. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Vengeance is whose, saith the Lord? Mine, saith the Lord. Those who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, once again, another example, they were blessed. They were blessed with privileges. They were blessed with incredible opportunity. It tells us in Genesis 13.10, and Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan that was well watered. Everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. We don't know where Zoar is, but apparently these people knew it's like, wow, that's a nice place. That's Lahoya. That's Carmel. That's a beautiful area in the world. A beautiful place. That's what that's what Sodom was like. And it says that the city, Sodom, and these cities around them stood as an example as God's judgment. And their most notable sin in this city was homosexuality. Sexuality beyond sexuality, beyond sexuality, beyond gratification, beyond gratification, beyond fulfillment, beyond fulfillment into perversity. The sexual depravity, however, wasn't their only sin. You don't just start out like that. How do you get there? How does that happen? Ezekiel. 1649, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness, too much time on their hands. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or help the needy, and they were haughty, prideful, arrogant, and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Certainly, it was the sin of of that, that ultimately, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back was the extent in which their perversity had gone. But where did it start? Where did it start? I heard one person in illustration say, you know, you've got some guy who just—please, ladies, don't think ill of me. I just—but you've got some guy who's in jail because he just beat the tar out of his wife. And rather than say that he's in jail because he beat the tar out of his wife, they say that he's in jail because there were there were disagreements in regards to the marriage arrangement. <laughs> well, you could say that. And and I've heard people try to say, well, this isn't about the perversity that was in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is because they were prideful. No, no, don't give me that. Yeah, Because they were prideful, because they were arrogant, because they were caught up in their own ways, it led them to a place where ultimately their sin was manifested in their perversity, just as the person who's in jail because of issues with marriage problems were manifested in how he abused his wife. No, the problem, ultimately, that broke the straw, sent the straw that broke the camel's back was this perversity. And Sodom and Gomorrah, once again, were prosperous and blessed areas. And what happened? What did they do that's in alignment with where we are in the scripture? They forgot where their blessings came from. Despite their great blessings from God, Despite their material prosperity, they got prideful. They thought they were entitled. They took these things for granted, and they sinned and they were judged. Genesis nineteen twenty four. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah, from the Lord out of heaven, out of the heavens. So he overthrew these cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. He destroyed everything. Genesis 19 tells us that Sodom and and Gomorrah was destroyed with fire from heaven. But that wasn't the end of the judgment. Yeah, took care of the problem, just like that. But that wasn't the end of the judgment. Here's the drum roll. These having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh because for some reason they felt they could test God, they felt that their pride, they felt that their perspectives of things could override the truths of God. They're set as an example and they're suffering vengeance not just of one amazing blast but of eternal fire, eternal fire. So once again, certain men causing trouble will be judged no matter how much they had been blessed in the past. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah were once wonderfully blessed, but eventually suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. Guys, we've got to stay the course. And this is what I say, and this is what I say, and this is what I say, because I've, I've got friends that are on the different side, and I don't mind. If, if you want to, you your ism is your ism, and my ism is my ism. But we are not going to know the truths, the depths, the understandings of our ism, because for every scripture you can find that justifies your ism, you can find another one that somebody can argue back. And as Skip Heitzig the pastor we were just talking about has this beautiful illustration. We have two, par- two parallel truths. We have predestination and we have free will. And it's a swing. And those two issues are going somewhere up into the heavenlies in which we cannot see. The only thing those two issues, if you will, have in common is the seat in which we sit. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we'll know that truth when we get to heaven. And your Arminiists and your Calvinists will go, Oh! (laughs) <laughs> Duh, why didn't we know this? Why didn't we figure this? We're not gonna figure it out this side because if you could, if I could, if we could, that ism would become the same kind of, of focus of worship that we would put our trace our, our faith, trust, and confidence in rather than in the finished work of the cross. Something that we need to keep in mind. We have been given a great blessing. We live in the best best country in the world. We're going to have a Super Bowl game next week. We all know the Chiefs are going to win, and it's going to be great. We have blessings. We're going to go to dinner. We're going to go to lunch. We're going to hug each other. We're going to eat cookies. We're going to talk about good things. We're going to pray for Cherry. We're going to pray for Miriam. We're going to pray for Pastor Skip. We're going to pray for for the precious babies that, that Faith and Connor have. We're going to pray for our... T- We've got all of these blessings. And we cannot forget who is the giver of good gifts. We cannot think that all of a sudden... I'm going to use a bad term here. Don't run with it. But we turn into some general Zer mentality that we're entitled, that we deserve these things. Because, no, no, no. We have been given everything we need for life and godliness... the true knowledge of Christ Jesus who called us by his own glory and excellence and part of that true knowledge tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is good, good news and we will celebrate it. Let's all stand up.